Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhassa Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhassa Homage to the blessed, noble and perfectly enlightened one Adanto suche do ye hula hudi san miao san putoshe. Namo sadanto the unsurpassed, deep, profound, subtle, wonderful Dharma in a hundred thousand million eons is difficult to encounter. Now that I have come to receive and hold it within my sight and hearing, I bow to fathom the thus come one's true and actual meaning. Venerable Master, Dhamma friends, welcome to our Sutra lecture tonight. We're going to be looking into the second ground of the Ten Grounds chapter. We start by reciting the name of the Sutra, and the Buddhas and Bodhisattvas is here in the front cover of your text. So please feel free to join me. Namo Translation. We've got one up in the balcony, so you can uh, hear both uh, the uh, English and the Vietnamese of the sutra. Also, welcome to the people who are joining us online from wherever you might be. We uh, 
have been offering this lecture as a webcast for the last couple of years. And uh, we've been slowly, slowly, but steadily growing. And uh, I get these emails from places around the globe from people saying, gee, it sure is nice to be able to hear a Mahayana Sutra being explained in my living room. And seeing as how I live in Sao Paulo, it's really special because we don't have that many Mahayana Sutra lectures down here in Sao Paulo. And then I get the same comment from Copenhagen and I get the same comment from uh, Brisbane, uh, New South Wales. So it's, it goes around the world thanks to the internet. So We are on page 30 and 31. We're finishing up our uh, second ground, the Ten Grounds. Now, I want to tell you at the start that tonight we're going to finish at nine, because tomorrow is a big day for a lot of folks who will be driving for ten hours up to our retreat in the Oregon coastal mountains, so that happens tomorrow. And we have to leave to be on the road by 6.30, so... It's good to uh, finish tonight by nine so we can get some rest. And we are on the third paragraph that begins, Disciples of the Buddha is called the general discussion on that, that paragraph. And we'll do the, we'll do the, uh, just the first line together and then, um, I'll do the rest down to the bottom. So. Okay, let's read that first line. Fozi. Shi ming lue shuo. Pusa mohosa. Di er li go di. Disciples of the Buddha. This is called a general discussion of the Bodhisattva Mahasattvas. Second ground, Second ground of leaving defilement behind. Okay, This is the 30th of July. We have uh, one more day to go in July, and then begins August. It's a Saturday night. We're here in Berkeley, California, and uh, we're finishing up the second ground. This is... For people who are maybe new to our lecture series, this is the uh, chapter, one chapter out of a big sutra called the Avatamsaka, the Huayin Sutra, the Flower Garland Sutra. It's a big, big, big text that the Buddha spoke immediately upon awakening, right under the Bodhi tree. That's how the how our tradition says it. And in that big, big, big sutra there is a chapter more than halfway through called the Ten Grounds, Ten Stages, Dashabhumi, they call it in Sanskrit. And it's about bodhisattvas. It tells you how bodhisattvas live, practice, what they value, what they think, what they do. And each of those ten stages, ten grounds, is a, uh, a separate entity. It's, uh, you can lecture just the first, just the second, just the third, and get an entire unit of understanding about the Bodhisattva. But the ten of them together 
correspond to another um, aspect of the bodhisattva, the awakened being's path, called the ten paramitas, the ten perfections. And the ten paramitas, paramita is a Sanskrit word, it means to cross over, ten ways to go across, like you could say the ten bridges almost, or the ten uh, ferry boats, instead of paramitas, you get the same meaning. The ten paramitas are uh, a list, that's a Buddhist list, and when you get into Buddhism, there are lots of lists. There's two of this, three of this, four of this, five of this, up and two, and including the uh, hundred dharmas of the Sarvastivadins and the 84,000 dharma groups. Um, of the paramitas, those ten, um, they further divide into six of one. One school talks about six. Another school talks about ten, adds four more. So it doesn't matter whether you've got six or four, or ten, that is, six or ten. They pretty much are a, a stable list. That, that list is everybody who talks about it over the 2,500 years of Buddhism says six are the six, the ten are the ten. So they don't change very much. Other lists change. It's funny, huh? Tonight we're going to look into two lists that change depending upon who's talking about it. But those paramitas, those uh, six, let's use the six for now. The six perfections, the six ways across, are bodhisattva's tools. It's what bodhisattvas use when they want to do what bodhisattvas do, which is help people out of suffering. And they are giving precepts or morality, vigor or strength, patience or endurance, samadhi, concentration, that is, and then prajna, or wisdom. So, giving and precepts, vigor, patience and vigor. I reversed them when I said the first time. Patience is three. Patience is three, vigor is four. Then samadhi and wisdom. Those are the six. Um, That order pretty much stays constant. And... The ten grounds correspond in order to the six paramitas plus four more. So when we lecture, when I say these ten things are kind of a unit, they're individual units, um, they correspond to the succession of those bodhisattva's tools. All right, so I've got two things here I'm explaining. One is the ten grounds, which is the name of our sutra, and we're in the second one. And then I'm talking about the six or the ten paramitas, and they correspond. One goes to one, two goes to two, three goes to three, four goes to four, like that. So we're in the second ground, which means it corresponds to the second paramita also. And that's the, what? The first ground is giving. Second ground has to do with morality, goodness, or virtue. So the first ground is called happiness, because it's Giving is the practice of happiness. The second ground is the ground that leaves defilement behind. It leaves pollution behind. It leaves stains behind. All those words correspond to liko. Leaving behind defilement, pollution, stain, dirt. Things that are not pure. Or you could say things that mix in. If you're a chemist, it would be dust in your formula. 
if you were a mathematician, it would be uh, random integers in your, in your equation. Um, if you were an artist, it would be smudges on your canvas. Those are go, and this is li go, getting rid of, removing those defilements, those stains. So, okay, got kind of the idea of what this, this is, what, you're, what I'm telling you is theoretical stuff, but it, inquiring minds like to know, right? We like to have a theoretical framework for what we're talking about. What we discover is, if we talk like this, is these, these texts have lots of structure behind them. They are indeed spiritual classics. This is the Buddha's, what the Buddha saw under the Bodhi tree when he first woke up. The Buddha opened his wisdom and said, here's how things look to me. Pretty exciting. But later, over the thousands of years, intelligent people looked at that and said, well, let's put a structure. Let me see if we can't go from beginning to middle to end and make sense. And sure enough, inside it, there was all this structure. So that's what I'm giving you. So we kind of have an orientation. I mean, if you just start walking south, pretty sure if you keep the ocean on your right, you're going to hit L.A. sooner or later, right? But some people say, well, I'd actually like to go Highway 5 over the grapevine or, or 101 and get there, like, directly, you know, without wandering halfway at San Luis Obispo and then getting lost in... in uh, uh, down in San Simeon somewhere. So, right, we want to go, we want to know the map. So this is the map that I'm giving you, the map to the sutras. Okay, so that's how, it's, how the structure looks. What is the content? If I gave you the skeleton, what, what's the flesh and blood on the skeleton that gives it its body and its shape? Well, it's the Bodhisattva's heart. That's what that structure is. It's the Bodhisattva's heart. The uh, um, thoughts and the, the motivation, why the Bodhisattva does things. Why does an awakened being stick around when they know enough to leave and get out of suffering? If you were stuck in a burning house and you saw the exit and you knew that just outside, if you move your feet, you can get out of the flames, who would not? run for the exit. Well, bodhisattvas would not run for the exit. They would first look around and see see who's who's here in the house with them. Like, remember Chesley Sullenberger, the, the pilot of the U.S. Airways plane that landed in the Hudson River, a uh, local California fellow? He, everybody was so uh, impressed with him because as captain of his plane, he didn't go first. He waited until everybody else was out. And then, as the plane was settling down into the Hudson River, he walked up the aisle of his plane, making sure that everybody was out, not trapped under seatbelts. Then he was the last one to get out. So that's a hero. That's what bodhisattvas do. They put others' welfare as important or more important than their own. Okay, so that's what these bodhisattvas do. And on the second ground, they do it using a standard of behavior. Precepts. Morality. Ethical conduct. Character. Those are all words that mean essentially the same thing. Which is, given a choice, what's the right thing to do? If you have a choice, you can do this, you can do that. 
If you ask yourself, I would like to know what happens if I do this, what happens if I do that, I'll do that. And you do it, and you get the result you expected. People are not harmed. In fact, people have benefited. And someone says, oh, that person's got integrity. That person has qi zhi in Chinese. He's got some bones. Master Shenhua said, or our teacher said, I just have stiff bones. If you want to know what I'm about, he said, stiff bones. And you always had that feeling about Master Shenhua that green was really green, red was really red, white was white, black was black. And while no one could be more expedient than he was, at the same time, you never had the feeling around him that things were kind of pastel or mushy or shadowy or unclear. It was, you were abundantly clear what was the right thing to do around the teacher. Um, so that's what the Bodhisattva on the second ground does. He or she looks at a situation and then says, does this lead to or does it lead to does it lead to ten kinds of unskillful behavior or does this action lead to ten wholesome deeds and I'm going to pick the wholesome one the whole chapter is about that deciding uh, based on this ancient standard what to do in any given situation based on an ethical framework so that's what paramita number two, shila paramita, the perfection of morality, the perfection of wholesome conduct. They call it shilo poromi in Chinese, shila paramita, the perfection of morality. Morality is one of those words we kind of get nervous, right? Morality, it's somebody's going to judge me and tell me I'm wrong and bad. That's the way I always thought about morality growing up. But in fact, the Buddha's morality is based on practical goals. You want to get awake? You want to leave suffering? Here's the way to go. And as you go, watch out for this because it will stop you. Watch out for that because it will trip you up. Be aware of this mistake because it's going to block you. But here's the thing to do. Do this, you'll go straight through. Do that and you'll make it all the way. That's the Buddha's morality. It's very practical. It's meditator's morality. Morality for meditators. That is to say, if you have sketched out for yourself a spiritual lifestyle, if you are interested in finding out about the inside of your life, your body, who's in there, and how to... mm, make use of that to benefit yourself and others, then having the Buddhist description of ten good and ten evil deeds is really, really, really a help. Very helpful. So that's how these that's the morality of of the Buddha. It's not finger shaking in your face, judgmental, you do this or I'm gonna not not like you. If you do that, I'll like you more. Not the Buddha says, please just take my advice because it'll hurt you a lot less. You know, if you don't, it's okay, but it'll take you longer. That's, that's the way it's given. Okay, so you get the idea. Disciples of the Buddha. This is called a general discussion of the Bodhisattva Mahasattva's second ground of leaving to follow behind. 
he says. Meaning, we've come to the end. General discussion. This is Lyashua. This is the summary. So we, I've done it, says the Bodhisattva. The speaker, his name is Vajra Treasury, Bodhisattva. Adamantine Treasury. So he concludes and he says, Pusa Zhu Di Duo Zuo Zhuan Lun Sheng Wang Wei Da Fa Wang Ju Zu Qi Bao Yu Zi Zai Li Neng Chu Yi Jie Zhong Sheng Qian Han Po Jie Gou the Bodhisattva who dwells upon this ground of leaving defilement behind for the most part becomes a wheel-turning universal monarch, a great host of the Dharma, endowed with the seven jewels and sovereign power. He is able to eradicate all living beings' defilements of stinginess, greed, and breaking precepts. Okay. So, um, I've been saying for the last couple of weeks that this the the conclusion of each chapter is kind of like a refrain in a song. It's the chorus that comes back verse after verse. Um, these paragraphs come back at the end of each of the ten grounds. You'll see when we get ahead. You'll see. Oh, this looks familiar. When we get to the end of the third, the fourth, the fifth. The um, analogy of smelting gold we talked about last week that comes back. Um, the Bodhisattva's vision of Buddhas returns. He sees more and more Buddhas. Um, and the four dharmas of attraction we talked about last week, those come back. The things the Bodhisattva stresses, emphasizes, those progress through the paramitas. So this one too, when the Bodhisattva dwells upon the ground of leaving defilement behind, for the most part, he is a wheel-turning universal monarch. What is that? Okay, we're into um, Dharma Esoterica. This is the, the, the fun part for people who uh, are interested in studying the Dharma. What is a wheel-turning universal monarch? When you um, dig into the sutras, you discover that there's a whole world there's a cosmos that the Buddha describes. It's consistent, and he says, this is how things are. How come we don't see it? Because he's looking through different eyes. He's looking through wisdom eyes that see further. So, this is a matter of faith. No telescope is going to show us this uh, outlay of the cosmos. However, interestingly enough, if you do cross studies of Greek mythology, Indian mythology, Chinese mythology, you discover that ancient voices, voices from the past, from the far distant past, agree in many, many ways with the Buddha's description of how things are. So, this, I found this fascinating. Um, as I listened to Master Shenhua give us the, the, tr- the tradition underpinning the Buddhist sutras, some parts of it were fantastic. <laughs> fantastic, not to say far out, 
but fantasy fantastic. Like, really, that's like, that's too fantastic to believe, kind of. Like, really, Scherfel? That's amazing. And then I would think, wherever well, that sounds, it echoes, it's part of the back of your brain somewhere. You go, wait a minute, I think I read Edith Hamilton's description of Greek. You go look at your Edith Hamilton Greek mythology. Sure enough, here's the same story from the Greek point of view, talking about the gods, for example. And then you're reading about Indian civilization, and you go, wow, look at that. Here's, quote, Hindu, and then you look into that and discover Hindu is a Western name for this whole constellation of beliefs in India. Indian traditional religion has the same story. My golly, look at that. And you pretty soon you realize that the cosmology the Buddha is describing is not Buddhist cosmology, circle R, trademark, registered trademark. It's not Buddhism, circle C, you know, ink. It's not Buddhism, ink. This is a traditional way of describing the way the world is made. That the Buddha, when he woke up, said, here's what I see. Take it or leave it. He gets no benefit if we believe him. He doesn't sell any more books, more sutras, if we believe it. It's that here's what he saw with his eyes open. Here's how it is. And go, oh, interesting. Give you an example. Um, talking about cosmology. Cosmology is just describing the way the world is made. Right? There, the Buddha talked about what he called ten dharma realms. Ten realms where beings exist. The ten dharma realms include six that are still mortal, in other words, in samsara. Six that come back after they die, come back and die, die and come back, die and come back. Mortality. And four that are beyond that. The four sages dharma realms. All right? So he divides the six, called the six-spoked wheel of mortality, he divides the six-wheel, six-spoke wheel into three wholesome and three unwholesome. Three places you don't want to end up and three places that are okay if you end up there. By the way, we have uh, four more bowing benches of people. I noticed they didn't get set out. We can set out four more benches. Pretty soon we're full here on the women's side. Um, so this, the three and the three, the three wholesome and the three unwholesome, the three unwholesome, hells, ghosts, animals, then you get to the three wholesome, humans, asuras, and devas. You go, what's an asura? Some people call it asura, depending on the accent. What's an asura? Asura, they say, Master Hua would tell us, asuras is this dharma realm, this is a place of rebirth, of a certain kind of being that love to fight. The men are ugly, the women are beautiful, they are pugnacious, they exist for conflict. They are always struggling with the gods for power in the heavens. Incessant warfare. Being a god in the heavens, especially in the desire realm level of six heavens, you are forever about to be invaded, attacked by the Asuras. And I was thinking, where have I heard that before? Let's see. Edith Hamilton talked about Titans, who were always challenging the gods on Mount Olympus for power in the heavens. 
Gee, that sure sounds the same. And it is. It is. That in the Greek side, who are, they've been watching the behavior of humans, non-humans, and the rest for how long? They describe this category of beings called titans that were ugly and powerful and had big bodies and they were always fighting with the gods for power on Mount Olympus. Similar, interesting, hmm, crossover story. And when you get to Indian mythology, you find the same thing. So here's one of those. As the Buddha describes the cosmos, we have a couple choices. One is to say, baloney, the Hubble telescope has never seen Mount Sumeru, doesn't exist. I'm waiting. I'm waiting for NASA someday to say, we found Mount Sumeru. Halfway up is the four heavenly kings. On the top is the Suyama heaven. It's the heaven of the 33, the Triastrimsha heaven. Now, don't hold your breath, right? Unless an awakened sage is looking through the lens and then he'll, he doesn't need the telescope and he can see it already. The Buddha said, worlds are made up like this and they're made of the same constituent parts and the heavens are here and above the heavens are above the desire heavens are the form heavens where the Brahma gods live and above the Brahma gods are four more levels of heaven, the formless heaven and then beyond that you get to our hot ship, sound tears, solitary awakened, bodhisattvas and Buddhas. So the Buddha described all the way up to the top and down to the bottom, to the hells. He said, the worlds are made up this way. So the bodhisattva who dwells upon the ground of leaving defilement behind, for the most part, becomes a wheel-turning universal monarch, a chakravartana. Chakra, where have we heard the word chakra before? Talk about chakras, chakras. Yeah, like wheel, right? Chakra, we talk about chakras in the body, right? Things that turn. Oh, chakra, wheel. Hmm. Uh, so, chakravartan, a wheel turner, a king who turns wheel. What is that? Those are the gods in the first level of heavens above the human realm, according to the Buddha's vision. So, I'm saying we have some choices when we hear this. We can either go, baloney, i never seen it, never read about it, doesn't exist, and you're safe, you know, if you take that point of view. Or, here's another alternative. We can listen to the information and say, interesting that other people looking at antiquity reported something similar in different parts of the world from voices that were roughly the same time period as the Buddha, 6th century BCE. And since there seems to be parallel evidence, maybe if I suspend my judgment, I can learn some more. What do I mean? I mean, we don't have to say, as we hear this information, yes, no, true, false, right, wrong. That's not the only choice, is to immediately judge it true, false, and then discard it or accept it. Nobody is going to ask you, do you believe that the wheel-turning sage kings live and have Matsumaru sign on this line, or else you go to hell, we'll punish you. 
Nobody's ever going to say that in the Dharma, that you have to sign on to the cosmology to get it to work so the Buddha will like you. Not You don't have to do that. All I'm suggesting is an alternative to judging yes, no, right, wrong, accept, reject, is to say, hmm, maybe there's more to learn. I will suspend judgment and listen. Take it in, and then maybe at some point later, bring it out and examine it further. Okay? This way, number one, it humbles us from the position of having to know everything that there is to know. And it also expands our knowledge. Ultimately, it will expand our wisdom. So, that's uncomfortable with that as a scientifically trained mind. To not have to immediately decide whether it's right or wrong and then reject it, thinking, I know everything there is to know, or somebody knows everything there is to know, and they'll tell me if I can, you know, search, if I can get the right search string in Google quick enough, I can find out, you know. I use the internet's memory. Um, That's arrogant. And it's also external. I'm suggesting that if we say, "Mm, there's a lot to learn. In fact, what I don't know is this much compared to what there is to know, which is infinite. So that the mind can relax if we suspend the judgment and then say, there's more to learn. I have a lot to learn. So, okay, that's my little disclaimer as we look into this information. Otherwise, you have to take it on faith. And if you're not used to listening to the sutra, why would you believe it? Why, why nobody's going to ask you to believe it, but critical minds would go, sounds foreign. That's that Buddhist superstition. Reject and there's not much value in listening to this ancient wisdom. Okay? So, that's... I'm trying to make this... Give us a door to go through to, to listen to this stuff. Okay. For the most part, this bodhisattva, on the second ground, as he cultivates, has a rebirth ahead. Which is what? He or she becomes a god in the heavens. Wheel-turning sage kings... What are they? Chakrabartans, there are four kinds. And they ascend. There's iron wheel kings. There are copper or bronze wheel-turning kings, Chakrabartans. There are silver wheel-turning kings. And there are gold wheel-turning kings. Um... Here's how esoteric it gets, right? I love this. How do we, how do we know about these? Wheel-turning sage kings, Zhuanlun Shengwang in Chinese, appear as the kalpa, as the eon increases. And this is based on a time scheme that says that any, any world, any time people are in that world and aware you are also placed in a time frame. Worlds come into being, dwell, decay, and pass away, and are come around again. 
So worlds are finite, just like what? Bodies are finite. We are born, go through youth, middle age, old age, sickness, die, and return. The planet or the world does too. The Buddha says world systems do it. So every eon goes through increasing, waxing, and then decreasing, waning. Think of the the moon waxing full and then waning. During the waxing part of a world, which is measured in eons, kalpas, wheel-turning kings appear. Here's how it goes. Ready? When the kalpa increases and the human age span goes from 10 years to 20,000 years, iron chakrabartans appear. Okay? And you know about them. Wow, there's a good king in the world. He's, he's an iron wheel-turning king. When human... Oh, and he rules in a certain place. Jambudvipa, the southern continent. He rules one continent. Okay? Got this? Iron king... 10 years to 20,000 years of lifespan rules in the south, southern Jambudvipa. Okay, the kalpa in, in, uh, continues where the time is moving. And human lifespan goes from 20,000 to 40,000 years, the average lifespan. We're now, what, not quite 100. Right? So when human lifespan gets to 40,000 years, the bronze Chakravartin king shows up. And he rules the southern and the eastern continent. Purva Videha is the name of the eastern continent. I'm sure you all wanted to know that, right? There will be a quiz afterwards, don't so. Okay, got to be quick. Okay, when the human lifespan is still increasing from 40,000 to 60,000 years, we're in the waxing part, then the silver monarch the silver wheel-turning Chakravartin sage king appears. And he rules three continents. He rules the west, Aparagodaniya. So, Jambudvipa, Purvavideha, Aparagodaniya, the, the western continent as well. He's a silver wheel-turning king, and he's awesome. People look at him and they think, man, we'll follow you anywhere. You can get us out of a debt ceiling crisis. No sweat, Right? We all believe you. All you have to do is say the word because you're a silver wheel-turning sage king. All right. Then when human lifespan... I shouldn't have said that, should I? People crack the mirror as soon as I mentioned. Wait till we get to... Uh, I was going to actually had a conversation. We brought a, a Tea Party senator here to... Uh, hey, hey, we'll save the country. We'll decide it. Never mind. I'll be so, when human lifespan goes from 60,000 to 80,000 years old, then the golden, the golden Chakravartin, the gold wheel-turning sage king arises, and he rules all four continents. So, how about that? It's like, at that point, guess what? The eon starts to decrease. The, we get into the waning part of the eon. Where are we right now? We are far into the waning part of our eon. Where you can see, I mean, global warming, you could easily just put right on the timeline and say, when ocean, when fisheries are gone, fish populations are gone from our coastal waters, you know that it's, we're, we're down here, you know. 
It's not the auspicious waxing. So uh, the wheel turning kings appear at those times. And right now, you know, look around and think, show me the leaders. Where are the people who, as they, you know, speak, we immediately accept and get behind? I was born in the end of the 1940s, in the 50s. I was born in 49, okay? So I grew up with Eisenhower and uh, Adlai Stevenson and in Germany, Konrad Adenauer and all these, you know, all these names that were just so uh, believable and trustworthy when they said things you followed, you know. Even, uh, you think, John F. Kennedy, you know, people give Kennedy this, such, such mm, mythological almost, you know, it's like a golden touch Camelot was the Kennedy White House, etc. Uh, historians later dig into it and discover all kinds of shadows, but at the time, there were leaders, there were people whose integrity was just unquestioned. And now you look around and you just think, where? Where do you find someone who you just think, that person's really got it together. That's who I want to be. That's who I understand. So, anyway. So, those are the wheel-turning kings. And what else? This is really, really interesting. It says, what about him? They are great Dharma kings. They can speak the Dharma. What does a king do? These are called Zhuanlun, wheel-turning, Sheng Wang, sage kings, sage-like kings. What's a king? king is someone who sits above everybody. A king has a throne. A king has a crown. A king has robes. Right? or a queen. But think of, these are kings among humans, among gods. These are the ones we honor, the ones we look up to. They lead the armies. They give the orders. We call them names, special names. Your Majesty, Your Highness, Sovereign, you know, uh, all those names. Think about uh, Queen Elizabeth. We've seen her recently. She's been out looking pretty good these days. Because her grandson got married and Obama was in her, visited her. You know. So we've seen her, her Majesty, Queen Elizabeth II. We've seen her. So we, we know a bit about royalty. Um, but these are awesome kings. Awesome kings. They're leaders. And what is it about their leadership? They have Jizu Chiba. They are full uh, complete with the chi ba, seven jewels. You ready? Another list? You just heard about the four chakra bartons? Boy, have I got a list for you. These are the seven treasures of a, a uh, wheel-turning sage king. And as I looked into this, Years ago. At first you go, oh, that's neat. That's kind of cute. You know, quaint, kind of, or colorful. Kind of, you kind of 
you know, patronize it. You know, we know about that stuff, you know. Kind of like Br'er Rabbit and Tar Baby, you know, it's Uncle Remus stories. And then, as I, looked, as I was meditating on it, um, one description, and by the way, these, these descriptions of what happens when someone becomes a wheel-turning sage king, when the conditions come around, these descriptions are universal throughout the Dharma. They appear in the Agamas, the Pali texts. They appear in the Nirvana Sutra, Mahayana Nirvana Sutra. They are found throughout Buddhist literature and even go beyond the Dharma. Again, this is something the Buddha reported. He didn't make it up. This is not an expedient. The Buddha said, let me tell you something about what's here. Okay. When somebody becomes a iron, bronze, silver, or gold Chakrabartan, wheel-turning sage king, seven special things appear. Not all at once, but bit by bit. And they appear spontaneously. Why? Because that's what happens when you become a Chakrabartan. This is kind of the perks, if you will, that come along with this with these positions, the blessings involved. Every wheel-turning sage king has a wheel, a golden wheel, Jin Lun Bao, the golden wheel treasure. And this golden wheel is something you can ride. It's like a chariot. And I've seen pictures of it. And it's like at first, as I say, I kind of went, ha, 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 you know, that's cute. But I looked thought about it, it's like, the blessings of this being, who's a god, a wheel-turning sage king, he's a king among gods, he rules, are such that his uh, transportation is taken care of. Those are his, his blessings. A golden wheel is what he rides on. Uh, you will be looking at pictures from Buddhist history and, or it's, you know, Dunhuang caves painted. You'll see people riding on these wheels. They're gods riding on a wheel. <sighs> kind of like a, what would it be? Kind of like a, um, what are the, the two wheeled things you can ride? Police ride them. What are they called? Segways. Think of it. This is a celestial Segway. Right? <laughs> like that. You see them. They're, I've seen them. Woodblock carvings. What else? Second one is a white elephant jewel. An elephant. Elephants come to you as you realize kinghood. And what about the wheel? The wheel is golden and it has a thousand spokes. Imagine a thousand spoked wheel. It's not just, you know, a funky wheel. It's a, not like a bicycle wheel. It's a beautiful thousand spoke wheel. The elephant is white, very handsome. He's very beautiful, like a white lotus flower. There's the elephant. And 
you know, we go elephants. I haven't seen any elephants in California except in the zoo and they were pretty pathetic or in the circus. I think they should have let them go. Uh, in the, in East and Southeast Asia, elephants are common to the point they're still there. It is a strange sight to be in New Delhi on a bus. And you come around the corner and there's a, the traffic slows down and here's this huge elephant right there with the buses and the beggars and the taxi cabs. And he's working. He's got his mahout there with his, his hook and this elephant is lifting bamboo up to a construction site. And you go, what? You do a triple take, one, two, what, three, you know, there's an elephant right there in traffic in Mumbai, you know, in New Delhi. They have, they use them in India, like we use tractors, you know, caterpillar bulldozers. They use elephants, four-legged four caterpillar bulldozers. So, they're common, and much more common uh, in the past, but they're still there. In Thailand, you see elephants everywhere. So... The wheel-turning sage king spontaneously gets this white elephant jewel. Number three, he gets a dark horse jewel. It says purple, but it's not necessarily the color purple. Next, there is the horse jewel. Its color is dark like purple flames. Any equestrians here? Imagine a horse-like purple flames. And furthermore, his mane is golden. This horse has a golden mane on his purple flickering body. That's how beautiful. What do you do on a horse like that? You ride. That horse carries you anywhere you want to go, tireless, and back. Want to see it again? Like that. Beautiful horse. And what does it come to you for? Because you are a chakravarti. Your blessings bring this to you. What's it like? Um, maybe we have forgotten. But in the 90s, when the, uh, uh, the, the dot-com bubble was hot, I don't know if some of you maybe were involved in the dot-com bubble, but there were many stories of people who, uh, if you were a coder, if you were uh, a software designer of a certain quality that was desirable, you could come home and your answering machine would have 10, 15, 20 messages on it from recruiters wanting to bring you to their new headquarters in Sunnyvale. And they would say, the keys to your BMW are in the mailbox by your front porch. It's out at the curb. You know, please sign with us. Right? BMWs would come with your signature. I have friends who went through three or four BMWs. And then the startup would go IPO and it would sell and you could either keep it or give it away. And then came the crash, and everybody had to... Suddenly, the used car lots all over Silicon Valley were full of BMWs that people had to hawk to get enough money for food. But that's, that was not an exaggeration. That was true. In order to, to hire you to their startup, they would send a car along with the, the, the contract. 
So it came with the job. Well, the horse comes with the kingship, right? Just comes with it. Next is a shanzhu bao, a spiritual pearl. Shanzhu, it's a magical pearl. And this sounds a lot like our Rui Bao Zhu in the 42 Hands and Eyes, the pearl that the dragons are chasing. That one. Haha, I'm in the Berkeley Monastery. I can point to dragon's pearls right there. See those pearls? Those are Rui Bao Zhu, the wish fulfilling pearls. Those are the Shanzhu, the psychic pearl, the magical pearl, um, which is what? Xing Rong Duan Zheng Wei Miao Di Yi Nope. Oh, oh, guess what? Out of order. I skipped a note. The, um, uh, yes. The, I skipped the order according to this list. The next one is, and this one requires some interpretation, is it says the Jade Woman Jewel. Jade women jewel. Yu nui ba. Now, is it, how is it that when you become a king, you get uh, a woman or women? Uh, is it a harem? Is it consorts? I think the way to imagine this is to say that you get consorts of the opposite sex. So if you were to just, if it's not a wheel-turning king, it could be a wheel-turning queen, and you can easily imagine everything that I've said, just swap the gender out. And in that case, you would get the, the strong male consort. The idea is company of the opposite sex. And how does it describe them? It's very chaste and modest. It says they are xing rong duan zheng. They are very proper and handsome, or you could say beautiful in their form. <coughs> Excuse me. Furthermore, Wei Miao Di Yi, they are subtle, wondrous, and sublime. Company. Good conversation. Probably play the ukulele. <laughs> imagine. Imagine. Or the piano. Or the harpsichord, or the harp. They play the harp, right? Or, you know, they're DJs. Whatever. Think, imagine, use your imagination. So, they are able to keep you company in a most wondrous way. You're never bored when you have the, the around you, right? They know the latest movie reviews. They can cook. Oh, can they cook, right? So they're foodies. They're, you know, whatever. You just think about it. They um, can uh, fix your computer when it goes bad, right? <laughs> you just hold the button down until it restarts. Oh, that's, thank you. Right? What's that? Or buy a new one? They're always a Macintosh, of course. They are... They are past Macintosh employees, so they get you the 15% employee and family discount. Mm -hmm. So, whatever you wish, right? They are yu nu bao. So you could say the consort jewel. That's what you want. Next is the spirit pearl, which is chun jing liu li da ru ren jiao. So it's pure 
And it's made of lapis lazuli, so it's blue, that kind of incredible blue, with golden flicks in it, as big as the human fist. Imagine the lapis lazuli jewel that big. So that's the spiritual. Okay, two more. We've got five so far. Number six is, it says, Chi Ho, before long, you're now the wheel turning monarch. Before long, what happens? Chi Ho, Bu Jiu, you Zhu Zhang Chen, Ziran, Er Chu, Duo Cai, Duo Rao Cai Bao, Ju Fu Wu Liang. This is the um, minister who takes care of the treasuries. In other words, your treasurer, the treasurer jewel. In the, um, my list that I got, it was layman, ji shi bao. But here is the attendant, the, um, uh, your, in the Navy, they call them quartermasters, quartermaster, right? The, the person who looks after the stores, your, your housekeeper. In this case, it says, the person in charge of the treasury, Zhu Zhang Chen, who appears naturally, who makes appear naturally wealth, riches, treasures, and infinite money. You have infinite amounts of money. So you get the treasurer jewel. And it comes with a position. As soon as you're the king, this, this jewel appears. Right? So it's like, whoa. I didn't realize being a king had all these perks. Hmm. Finally, number seven. It says, Qi Ho Bu Jiu, You Zhu Bing Chen, Ziran Er Chu, Yong Jian Yong Lue, Che Mo Di Yi. The last one is the soldier. The bodyguard jewel, right? You get Jet Li as your own personal bodyguard. He shows up after a while, Zhu Bingchen. He's the uh, minister in charge of the military or police or bodyguards, security detail, your own secret service. Ziran Arshu spontaneously Yong Qian. Meng Lue. He is courageous, strong, and heroic and fearless, and he is number one in strategy. He always figures out the best way to get through traffic, so you never have to drop below 30 miles an hour. Right? You never have to get out of third gear when you're driving to the airport at 5 p.m. on Friday afternoon. Now there's a treasure. You don't get stuck in traffic crossing the Bay Bridge for an hour, missing your plane. So those are the seven. And it says these are spontaneous. They come with the job. When you become king, Chakravartin, these things show up. The wheel, the elephant, the horse, the consort, the pearl, the treasurer, and the bodyguard. The soldier, the soldier jewel. They're all called Baal. They're all called jewels because they are indeed treasures. And they're yours. All right? So, as I said, I was hearing this list the first couple times and I thought, 
Yeah, that's kind of cute. That's neat. I like that fairy tale. I like that story, you know, meaning couldn't possibly exist. And then I thought, how, how does that work? It, if, if this is not a Buddhist idea, and what's Buddhist about that list? Not much. It sounds like fairy tale, doesn't it? It sounds like, you know, the Anderson, Hans Christian Anderson, or sounds like the uh, Brothers Grimm or something. And in the end of the story, you lose them all or something like that. Or they turn and eat you up or something. Um, and I thought, okay, if it's not a Buddhist list, the Buddha's reporting it. What is this about? Well, first of all, it's what happens to gods. Gods are beings like you and me who, as a result of their cultivation of blessings, fu qi, they are not in the human realm. They're in another dharma realm called, not Asuras, but devas. Wheel-turning sage kings are gods. They rule in the heavens. So they get there because of their blessings that they cultivate. It's not that somebody picks them out and says, you're it. It's that they actually do the work, cultivate the blessings, which brings them a quality of life different from ours, finer. So all of these qi, qi bao, the seven jewels or seven treasures, are simply part of the reward of a god. So being a wheel-turning king is something that you cultivate. And here's the, the, the event that made sense to me. This, um, our sutra doesn't account for it, doesn't say it, but I was reading in, um, I guess it was the Avatamsaka, I'm trying to think, it might have been the, um, the Bodhisattva's dwelling, where it describes what happens when somebody becomes a new Chakravartin. As you get installed, kind of initiated, as you get inaugurated, that's the word, your inauguration, as you get inaugurated as a wheel-turning sage king, what happens? You go through something, said the sutra, called Ding, anointing on the crown. The crown of your head is anointed, they take you in the ceremony that's going to put you on the throne and they drip something, oil or something, on your head and it symbolizes the opening of your wisdom and the fact that now you are really on the throne. And the next line in the sutra said, then spontaneously these seven things arrive, one by one. The list of seven that I just read you, right? The wheel, the elephant, the horse, the jewel, the, the consort, the, the treasurer, and the military, the soldiers. One by one by one, they pop up. You got them now. Why? You're the new king. They're yours. So I was reading, and I thought, that's, it's, it's so matter-of-fact the way it describes it. It must be. Hmm. I w- was invited to go to St. Mary's Cathedral to see the installation of the new auxiliary bishop of San Francisco, John Wester. 
This was like 90, 98 or 99. Might have been 2000. I guess it was like 2000. So I went over, sat one of the interfaith guests, and here were all the, there were like three cardinals and four archbishops there to install John Wester as the new auxiliary bishop. And halfway through the ceremony, what did they make him do? They put a paper collar around his neck, took off his hat, picked a silver pitcher, and dripped oil on his head. Drip, drip, drip. And I was going, where have I seen that? That was, the sutra says, wheel turning sage kings get anointed on the crown. John Wester's getting anointed on the crown. Roman Catholics do the same thing. How interesting. This ceremony is real. When somebody ascends to the new position, there are things, actions that, that certify, that indicate a new status. Look at that. Sure enough, after he, you know, had the drip, drip, drip on his head, and then they wiped it off, and then he's, he's the bishop, right? And I thought, that's part of our ancestral culture. That's what we do. One of the things we do when somebody becomes a new thing. Huh, it's real. So if that's real, what about the seven things arriving? Uh-huh. Could it be, and this is what I thought, um, the next thing that happened was it was the World Cup year. And I'm not a soccer fan much. I, I just, it wasn't part of my world. I grew up, you know, baseball, basketball, football, tennis and golf, if you stretched it, track and field in the spring. But that was that, baseball, basketball, football. In season, that was what you did, not soccer. And I was witnessing the World Cup insanity, right? People go insane over soccer. Football, I'm sorry, football, footy. If you're Australian, it's footy. We play footy. So people go nuts. And if somebody scores, you know, it might be one, one not. One to nothing. The guy runs a little, you know. He jumps on him. You know, and you go... Wow, look at that. I mean, hit a home run and people cheer, but that's it. You know, it's not like you don't grab nothing. This is the World Series. So I'm thinking, spontaneously people are moved to that kind of joy when something happens that they approve of. And if you, you know, if you win because of your goal, you're a national hero. Huh, how about that? We're moved. When we celebrate something, people celebrate. I thought, what if someone's blessings are so full that nature celebrates by sending these seven things? Could it be that this is way bigger than I know? And because we're in this waxing time of the eon, we don't know anything about wheel-turning sage kings. But as the, as the eon waxes, we're in the waning part, as the eon, as it grows, maybe when kings show up, nature celebrates like, 
people at the when the scoring of the, the soccer goal by sending wheels, elephants, horses, jewels. Maybe these are totally spontaneous responses of nature to something wholesome. Humanity doing its part. We are so broken now from nature that nature is not forgiving us. We've taken the fish out of the oceans. We've polluted the groundwater with nitrates so that there are algae blooms. You see off the coast of Qingdao in eastern China. Did you see those pictures recently? Qingdao, the, it's, it's, it's supposed to be one of the most scenic and beautiful spots in China. And it was until recently, but the ocean water turned green like a garden. It's water, but it's full of green plants coming right up to the beach. You go, good God, you know. It's the, it should be water. It should be like waves, right? No, it's, it's like a lotus pond, only it's funky green algae. We broke the water off of Qingdao by dumping nitrates, basically, in ocean water. So we've broken it. Humans, tian di zhen, humans, earth, and humanity, when we do it right, nature can send things. Beautiful rain. The sutras talk about sweet dew falling. When somebody becomes a sage, the earth quakes. It can also send kings precious things. Interesting. So every now and then something breaks through our rigid, conscious, scientific awareness to think, there's a whole lot that we don't know. Could it be that the Buddha is describing absolute fact about what happens when somebody reaches that position called Chakravarti? Maybe. Maybe. In any case, I find it much more harmonious to allow that possibility in my mind than to say, this is all fairy tales. Never saw it, never heard of it, never read about it, doesn't exist. You know, what do I know about? Oh, I know about, uh, let's see, I'm going to get an AP report on what's going on in Washington. You know, (laughs) so here's my reality. It's completely real until you go, and then you can't read it. My reality is just this thin, right? Do this, suddenly I can't read a thing. But I take what comes off this two-dimensional surface as reality compared to the sutra that says, no, uh, actually... When people do things right, wheel-turning sage kings arise and the seven precious things come to them. Interesting, huh? How we are very bound by our thoughts and our words. So, anyway, just to say, it doesn't do to be too arrogant and proud about our knowledge. Traditional knowledge has a lot that we've just lost. And I, I find it fascinating to be able to touch this heritage learning and to think, hmm, maybe there's more to learn. So, okay, that's our list. The four kinds of wheel-turning Chakravartin kings, and there's seven jewels. There's seven precious things. What else? He, he has sovereign strength. He is independent. In his strength, he can do what he wants. 
兼谈破戒垢，以善方便令其安住十善道中。He is able to eradicate all beings' defilement of stinginess, greed, and breaking precepts. Using wholesome expedient skill, he causes them to dwell securely within the ten wholesome karmic paths. That's what he does here on the second ground. He can get rid of people's defilement of stinginess using what giving, paramita giving, greed, and breaking precepts. How does he cure them of greed by giving the paramita of giving? And how does he cure us of breaking precepts? He uses the second paramita of morality, using wholesome expedient means, using various skillful, skillful techniques. He Causes us to anju to rest at ease, to stay at home in the shishan dao, among the ten wholesome, harmless paths of behavior. So that's the second ground. Bodhisattva is really good at getting us to behave like humans. Okay. What else? Wei Da Shi Zhu Zhou Ji Zhou Ji Wu Jin Bu Shi Ai Yu Li Hang Tong Shi Ru Shi Yi Qie Zhu Suo Zuo Ye Jie Bu Li Nian Fo Bu Li Nian Fa Bu Li Nian Sheng Nai Zhi Bu Li Nian Ju Zu Yi Qie Zhong Yi Qie Zhi Zhi. He is a great donor, and everywhere he gives without cease. In giving kind words, service, and cooperative behavior. In all such deeds that he does, none abandons mindfulness of the Buddha. None abandons mindfulness of the Dharma. None abandons mindfulness of the Sangha, up to and including not abandoning mindfulness of endowment with the wisdom of the knowledge of all modes. All right. So there's a lot packed into this、uh, packed into this paragraph. The Bodhisattva is a great donor. He's good at giving. Everywhere he gives without cease, the Bodhisattva continues to give. Now, in four things: giving, kind words, service, and cooperative behavior. Remember, last week we talked about the four methods of gathering in. They were mentioned in the paragraph two up above. Here they are. In these four things. Giving kind words, service, and cooperative behavior—four things that a bodhisattva uses to get people to come near, so he can、um, create wholesome ties with them. In all those things that he does, he is this none abandons. It means he's always what thinking of six things. This is called the six kinds of mindfulness. The six things to remember. Another list, boy oh boy. Lots tonight. You guys have been all taking notes, right? It'll all be on the midterm. Don't forget. Okay. None of the things that he does, whether he's giving, speaking kindly, serving, or working together with people, in everything that he does, the Bodhisattva remembers the Buddha, remembers the Dharma, remembers the Sangha, and remembers something that is called Ichejong, Ichejerjer, wisdom of the knowledge of all modes. What is that? The Buddha's wisdom. Okay. So, what are the six things to remember? The six kinds of mindfulness. 
it's said, it's said that a bodhisattva is always keeping six things in mind. Buddha, Dharma, Sangha, giving devas and precepts. There you go. Six, Liu Nian. Six things to remember. The Buddha, the Dharma, the Sangha, obviously, that's the three jewels. Giving, mentions it here. The devas, the states of the gods, which is the state of blessings, and precepts. Those are called Liu Nin, the six kinds of mindfulness, the six things the Bodhisattva never forgets. Okay, that's just for reference. So, what is he thinking of? Those things. Is the Bodhisattva thinking, oh, my hair just won't, it, bad hair day, it just doesn't behave today? You know what? She's wearing that dress that I would have bought, but I just decided not to, and now she's got it, and it looks better on her than it did on me. You know, no, the Bodhisattva is not looking out at what. Look at those shoes. I can't believe it. Those are last year's shoes. We gave, she's wearing Jimmy Choo's. Nobody's wearing Jimmy Choo's this year. Those are not. We're wearing uh, Gucci this year. Not. The Bodhisattva is not. How many guys? I, you'd be amazed at how many guys know the prices of cars. A lot of guys, you ask them, test it. You see something new on the road you've never seen before? You just kind of slip in and you say, you got to say it in a, in a, say it the right way. So, what do you suppose they get for that? Right? What do you suppose they get for that? Not, do you know how much that car costs? What do you suppose they get for that? You put it out in the third party, right? So it's kind of like shared knowledge. What do you suppose they get for that? And he'll say, the guy, you know, if the guy you're testing, he'll go, probably about forty-two fifty, I think. <laughs> right? Because while well, he knows, he knows, 42, because you guys know that kind of stuff. Like, that's last year's, man. No, no, no. It's at the end of the cycle. They're, the new ones are coming out pretty soon, so they dropped those by a thousand in the last quarter, right? So they, like, keep track, Right? Some guys know motorcycles. I don't know motorcycles, but some people know motorcycles. They'll tell you, oh, man, that's not. Oh, look at that. That's an infield. Whoa, they only, they stopped importing those 10 years ago. That's really valuable. So check it out. That's not what the Bodhisattva is thinking about, right? The Bodhisattva's mind is not full of car prices. Bodhisattva's mind is not full of shoes, right? Or flat panel TVs or the fact that Apple... Did you see that one? Apple's total resources more than the United States Treasury. Apple has billions of dollars in their revenues now, more than the US Treasury. That was yesterday's announcement. How about that? Apple has surpassed IBM, I think, as the, or no, Shell Oil is the number one biggest revenue company. That's a little fact. Not that you need to keep that in your mind. You should be remembering the Buddha, the Dharma, the Sangha, giving and gods and precepts. Never mind. Okay. And that the new MacBook Airs came out. and Don't have to remember this. So, the Bodhisattva never abandons the mindfulness of those six things, up to and including not abandoning mindfulness of this thing called 
all kinds of wisdom of wisdom. The wisdom of the wisdom of all modes, the wisdom of the knowledge of all modes. This is a, a, a technical name for wisdom. The, the Buddha, uh, the Bodhisattvas are always, no matter what they do, the four kinds of gathering in, they're always aware of those things. So as a result, guess what? Their minds are sweet, not sour. Bodhisattvas are not cynics. They're not petty. They're not mean. They don't gossip. <laughs> Bodhisattvas are not carrying stories about something they know that they know they shouldn't tell you. Please don't. Please don't. Can I tell you something in secret? Can I tell you? You promise you won't tell anybody else? Ding, 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 ding. When you hear that, you know, this person has forgotten mindfulness or the Buddha, the Dharma, the Sangha. So, what is the use of this? We look at this and we think, this is like a mirror. When I look in this mirror and I judge myself, what, what reflection am I getting back? Here's a bodhisattva. My mind is pretty sour a lot. Maybe I should sweeten my mind. Maybe if I put the Buddha, wisdom, the Dharma, principle, the Sangha, getting along in a community, giving, not jealous and stingy, the devas, blessings, benefiting others, and precepts, wholesome behavior. Maybe if I put that stuff in my mind, I wouldn't be so sour all the time, so negative, so depressed. That's how this works. This is a mirror for us. We look at how a bodhi, and we don't have to be bodhisattvas to get the benefit of finding out how bodhisattvas behave. That's nice to be able to have this accessible 